As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, happy Wednesday, everyone. I hope everyone is doing well and still basking in the glory of that win last week against Atlanta. I recapped that game uh, earlier this week. You can check that out on the podcast. And in this episode, we'll be talking more commanders with my colleague on the beat, Washington Post reporter Sam Fortier. Uh, got into uh, a lot of the topics that you would imagine uh, where with where this team is at three and three heading into an important game Sunday at the Giants. So I'll get to Sam and I uh, chatting in a moment. Uh, but of course, before we get to all that, please hit that subscribe button or a like button or whatever you need to do to make sure you don't miss any more episodes of the podcast. Also, make sure to check out my work on the Athletic uh, story up tomorrow morning meaning thursday on what is going to happen next with emmanuel forbes uh and if you missed it i had a story up also this week about it was, it was a bit of a notebook but the lead item was about sam howell and the sacks and why based on the data in terms of how long he was taking to throw on those sacks the problem might be getting a little bit worse but at a minimum it's not getting better so We'll talk about that. I, I wrote about that. Also, the uh, improvement with the Cinco package, as well as what's going on with Jahan Dodson. Uh, so you can check that out on The Athletic. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at Ben Standick. Uh, quick updates from practice today. You know, this team has had a pretty uh, short injury report most of this season, right? Obviously, they did lose a couple of defensive backs last week um the the report this week is a bit longer now i don't necessarily know that it is concerning but there were a bunch of names on there kendall fuller did not practice today with a knee injury now to be clear i saw him walking around the locker room later certainly didn't look like a player in distress that doesn't mean it couldn't be something significant enough to miss a game but we'll see where we are later in the week but that is notable especially in light of the emmanuel forbes situation because my read is Emmanuel Forbes probably doesn't play again this week. Um, Ron Rivera today, and this is basically the gist of the story on some level, was, was, was talked today about 
the balance between trying to help the team win now versus having you know a young player go through the ups and downs they're going to have to go through. We thought that would have to this would happen with Sam Howe perhaps. Instead, it's happening with the first round pick. In any event, so Kendall Fuller was out. Chris Rodriguez was out today with personal reasons. Didn't get any more clarification on that, so we'll see where that goes. Other players, uh, John Allen. Montez Sweat, Cam Kroll, all limited. Again, I don't necessarily know that any of that is alarming, but something to consider. And there was a bunch of other, uh, some others as well. So we'll have to keep an eye. Like I said, this is the first week, at least on a Wednesday, where the injury report was long. Uh, but again, not necessarily an indication that anybody will miss time yet. But we'll see where we are Thursday and Friday. Um all right, now speaking of the injuries, I'm looking at the Giants injury report. Also, a pretty long list. Daniel Jones, uh, who sat out last week with a knee injury, listed as limited today. So I believe that is a step forward for him. Saquon Barkley with the ankle, also limited. Uh, Andrew Thomas, their best offensive lineman, their left tackle, uh, did not practice today. Neither did Evan Neal. Another high first-round pick and a starting offensive lineman. Same with center John Michael Schmitz. So they have got a bunch of injuries. We know as bad as it's been for Sam Howell getting hit, the Giants are giving up just as many sacks, essentially. So they've got concerns there. Obviously, if Daniel Jones doesn't go, it would be Tyrod Taylor. Uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor, I, I'm not saying better or worse than Jacoby Brissett, but it's that type of situation. They can turn to a veteran. They know you know, can handle everything, you know, wh whether that leads to a bunch of points, who's to say, uh, obviously if Washington is on their P's and Q's like with their defense, that would make for a tough day, especially if the Giants offensive line remains battered for Sunday, uh, considering Washington's defensive line. So therefore, um, you know, a lot, a lot to watch on that side as well. And just if I had to guess, it's a little more concerning for the Giants than Washington's situation but we will see about that um i uh, I, I talked to some of the players on the front seven today just sort of to discuss what happened with their cinco package why was things more such so more effective than they were against the bears game and you know over and over again starting sunday in the locker room and then today I, it's not i don't have any sense that they did anything particularly jarring uh, with regards to the scheme, is really just a matter of players playing better. And sometimes it is as simple as that. No matter what we all try to make it out to be, they need to do this, they need to do that. You know, all these guys can play. The the, the difference typically between the best athlete, the, the best competitor competitors, and guys who are good but not great, and then guys who are okay and so on, is just simply consistency. Can you? It's it, uh, so many of these guys can make excellent plays, but can you do it over and over again? And that is the difference. And we know we have seen this group be be good, particularly on defense, right? I mean, we've seen them make uh, you know s seismic plays, plays that that turn around a drive or a quarter or what have you. It's just a matter of doing it consistently. But then on top of it you got to have the guys beyond the defensive line make plays. And this was a game where the linebackers were, uh, I think, probably their best game in total. 
this year. Uh, Cody Barton, Jamin Davis, and uh, Khalid Hudson coming in off the bench a little bit. Um, I asked Ron Rivera about it, and here was his quote about the linebackers. He's, he said, quote, I think really what you when you, what, what you saw when you break down the tape, you saw the linebackers really running, playing fast. I think one of the good things about the past week was that it was a very physical upfront game. The D-line was playing vertical into their creases. They captured their gaps. It makes it a lot easier on the linebackers in terms of their responsibilities of playing downhill, taking the doubles off the defensive linemen. They played fast. They were very active. Uh, Barton and Davis had tremendous production in the game. For the most part, I thought they handled their assignments very well. You know, obviously the linebacker room has been is, is viewed as the weakest. It's a position we have discussed a lot here in terms of, hey, you know, there's not much there's not much to look at here. Jamin Davis has been a work in progress over two plus years. He got his first interception in this last game. We know how athletic he can be. You know, I I, I, I wouldn't say it was the cleanest. You know, there, there's, always, there's always room for improvement. There was a play where Atlanta sent B. John Robinson to a, uh, to a wheel route, and he got past Jamie Davis, as we've seen other running backs do as well. But fortunately for Washington, the Desmond Ritter throw was uh, too far for an incompletion. Otherwise, that could have been a big play and uh, gone against um, Jamie Davis. But nonetheless, they made the play. Cody Barton, I, I thought, definitely was his best game. And Khalid Hudson was a big impact, three tackles in 10 snaps. So, you know, look, I think we've probably all, and myself included, gone overboard with sort of constantly fetching about whatever Cody Barton is or isn't doing. But in fairness to Cody Barton, this is more about Washington than it is him. He was a one-year, $4 million contract guy. This wasn't somebody they signed to a four-year, $50 million deal. They brought somebody in to, you know, hopefully fill the void of, of Cole Holcomb and maybe give them a little bit more in terms of coverage. He's got good speed, all that stuff. Um, perhaps he's they're, they're turning a corner here. Um, I, I, you know, I talked to James Smith Williams and Cam Curl and, you know, they both thought that there's becoming more and more uh, comfort with the, with Barton and the whole defense and vice versa. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, you know, this is going to be another game this week with the giants where, uh, you know, it's going to be a run first kind of a team with Saquon Barkley there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily know how much they'll they'll do the Cinco package again, but it wouldn't shock me if it is around that 24 to 27 snap range again. And they would need the linebackers to be key. Plus here you have the uh, tight end Darren Waller at, at, you know, when he's healthy, he's one of the better receiving threats in the league. So that's going to be something for the linebackers and Cam Curl to track for sure. Um, all right, uh, let's get to this here. Uh, let's get to my conversation with Sam Fortier. Uh, enjoyed chatting with him about about this team. So we'll do that right now. Myself, Sam Fortier. Oh, he is, of course, at Sam4TR on Twitter. And again, I'm at Ben Standig. Um, let's do it. Uh, here we go on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, joining me as pro- as promised, uh, one of the uh, one of my colleagues on the beat. Not many of them left lately, to be honest. Uh, Sam Fortier with the Washington Post, who I'm talking to. He's a uh, he's a he's a he's a man on the move. He's like he's Ubering uh, somewhere after having. What did you just tell me you did? You just spoke to an elementary school class about being a reporter. What was the deal? I just uh, spoke to 
an elementary school newspaper club with my colleague, Rachel Siegel. Shout out. Uh, yeah, we, we talked to the kids about journalism. It was pretty cool. Uh, they were kind of fired up. It was uh, honestly a good boost for, for us. As, as you noted in, in the very um, uplifting intro, we are, we're losing colleagues on the beat. So it, w- it was nice to see some people fired up about journalism, you know? Did, did any of the kids ask why you hate their team? <laughs> I did get some questions about the Giants and the Eagles and the Phillies. And uh, Kim was like, do you know Scary Terry? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like it's part of being in the locker room. So, But it was funny. Like, I feel like anytime I've talked to – if you explain our to anyone like younger than maybe like 10, 11, it's the first question is like, do you know? You yeah. know, and it's like funny how fired up they get. But it's it's nice, you know, like those are the things they get excited about. I, I love that question when somebody asks that, except it gets very scary when the person asking it is 38. They're like, oh, do you know, have you met Terry McLaurin? I'm like, what do you think I'm doing here? Like, uh, right, right, right. Oh, especially when it's like a friend who like, you know, claims they, uh, you know, subscribe to The Athletic. I'm like, okay, clearly you didn't see the, the one-on-one I had with him the other day, but okay, cool. Appreciate that. Um, well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad somebody out there is, uh, you know, letting the kids uh, of, of the next generation know that we are... Uh, you know, we're an honorable business sort of, and uh, that we're, you know, we're trying our best and, uh, you know, democracy dies in darkness. I actually agree with that. I mean, how <laughs> it was, um, Rachel, it was Cardinal elementary, Cardinal, Cardinal elementary school in Arlington. The, the Oh yeah. On the announcements at the end of the day, they said, have a chirpy day and they have an acronym, which is like communication include others. So, so I think that your listeners should have a chirpy day as well. I think that's pretty notable. Let let me explain the scene here. So first of all, Sam's in an Uber. So hopefully the Uber driver is interested in this conversation. Then apparently his colleague who he just mentioned is sitting next to him. I don't see her on camera. Uh, uh, You were just, uh, this is, this is multitasking. Is she uh, annoyed with this? Uh, I said to Rachel, before we started doing this, I said, Hey, I don't, I don't mean to be annoying. I can get a separate Uber back to the office. And she was like, no, it's cool. So, I mean, she, I, I said, it's with Ben standing of the athletic, like, you know, he's got, you know, I don't know if you want to listen to that podcast. And she was like, no, 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 it's cool. Ben standing is fine. You know, like, yeah. I'm kidding. She didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would venture to guess. She's like, what, who, where, what? <laughs> um. All right. Well, look, en- enough tomfoolery here uh, that we are talking, uh, you know, almost 48 hours after the commanders um, got a win over the Falcons. Uh, are you feeling uh, more optimistic about where things are after you know when we're hey the defense did its job and the offense you know put up enough points to to get the job done special teams contributed a lot of help from all over the place or you still in some malaise in the middle we're like i mean they won but it's not overly not moved it's not like i'm not all of a sudden booking uh tickets to vegas for the super bowl yeah i would say the dennis green malaise they are who we thought they were is sort of where I'm at with this team because yeah they beat Atlanta it was nice the run defense particularly with the Cinco package the five down front that was really impressive to me you know I think that uh, the secondary still gave up a bunch of explosive plays nine explosive plays but if you want to look at the silver lining, they only three of them went for 20 plus yards. So it's like, Oh, they were still giving up explosives, but like the explosives didn't go boom as big as they normally do. So uh, I, I think like if Desmond Ritter was a more accurate, better passer, they probably would have played it differently, obviously. But like if he hits a couple of those downfield shots, I think we're talking about a very different game and the offense kind of sputtering there at the end and the clock management. Like I think there's still plenty of concerns about this team and I'm not ready to, to book some, 
plane tickets to Vegas in, in February. But I mean, anytime you get blown up by the Bears at home like that, uh, and you bounce back and get a win, like looks the same in the win column. So I guess you know you have to be a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, I, I see some people out there saying, "Boy, can't you any of you people out there uh, be happy? They won the game. What do you want?" I'm like, I, I feel like that's a, like there's like two types of people who look at sports. There's the sugar high people. Hey, what just happened immediately in front of me is all that matters. They got the win. I'm feeling good about things, et cetera. And yes, of course, you can point to certain positives in the game. You know, the defense was much better. Sam Howe, sacks aside, continues to bit to progress. So there's things to like. But then there's the lifestyle change people. Okay, it's not enough that you just had a good, you know, you, you, w- w- let me see what what is actually changing your life. Are you meditating now? Are you walking every day? Are you eating right? Are you actually doing things that are going to make me think that in time there will be a real difference? And I think for me, that's where I'm like, I don't see that yet. The The first two games of the year, I was getting more optimistic because the defense was showing some uh, levels of uh, being an opposing group. And then since then, it's kind of faded off. I wouldn't say they were imposing in this game. They did what they had to do. But it wasn't like, wow, they just took over the game. Atlanta just seemed to kind of shoot themselves in the foot too many times. And the offense, you know, every touchdown was on a short field. They didn't they didn't, they didn't move the ball at all the last four possessions, allowing Atlanta to come in. So, I, I yeah, for me, it is not like, wow, here they go. Look out. It's more like, all right, they did what they had to do. They stayed in the game at three and three. And now it's just a matter of can they get do they have another gear in them? to become a, a really good team. And that's the part where I think for me, at least, and it sounds like for you as well, like we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. And Ron Rivera brushed me off yesterday when I asked about, you know, is this more important to start fast or, or to not be trapped in the middle, you know, three and three, you know, right around 500. Oh, okay. Like we need three things to break our way. We need to beat an opponent that we're underdogs against to, to have a chance at the playoffs. I think that like, really what I think we're in for is, even though there's more optimism on the offense and more pessimism on the defense in terms of outlooks for the rest of the season, like I do think we're in for a classic Ron Rivera year where they're like six and six or, you know, seven and five or whatever um, coming down to the break. And like, you got to have a bunch of things break your way. It's, it's, I would be surprised if that's not where we are in early December. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think you know again if this you know when you do the same thing over and over again, at some point it's like, all right, I mean, what this isn't where is this going? And I'm not even putting into the whole like, hey, what does the new ownership group think? Though obviously that's it's not the elephant in the room; it's it's the uh, blinking light blinding everybody in the room. Um, (laughs) You know, it's right there. But yeah, there's obviously 
some of that for sure. Um, for those who don't know, or if you don't listen to the press conferences on the regular, Sam is the foremost, uh, uh, I don't know about expert, but the foremost person to likely discuss the Cinco package. Loves getting the <laughs> scheme insight from Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera on that. I, I, I kid because he tries and they don't offer much. That said, they did it a lot this game. They only actually ran it three more snaps than they did against the Bears, according to what I saw on uh, True Media. But they were just far more effective. And I think you mentioned earlier that if Desmond Ritter is more accurate the way Justin Fields was hitting uh, DJ Moore down the field, and and it wasn't about the um, Cinco patch against the Eagles, but same thing, right? Jalen Hurts is beating them down the field with AJ Brown, and that led that that became the huge difference, allows them to run better, things like that. Atlanta just didn't have that. Um, that said, did you? I don't know to what degree you've uh, been able to study the film or just your own thoughts. But what did you kind of think of? the Cinco package and, and why is execution and why it kind of worked a little bit better this game. Yeah. So the Cinco package just to um, kind of give people the, the base, the primer it's, it's the five down uh, front where you have five defensive linemen in it kind of functions as uh, as Ron Rivera said, like a three, four base defense, you know, where you have two stand up linebackers on the outside. And I think it was really effective one, because I mean, and the goal of this is, is when you have five down linemen, you create one-on-ones that every offensive lineman, you know, you can't double team, you know, it's harder to do some of the things uh, that the Falcons like to do, like crack toss and, and some of those outside stretch runs. So, I mean, this is really like a, a direct counter to what the Falcons do. They're one of the most run heavy offenses in the league. Uh, they use 11 personnel at the, at the lowest rate in the league. So this is really a specific, I think, game plan thing of why it was so effective. But the other part is, you get F.A. Obata back off IR and, and what he allows you to bring on the interior is like when he is a, a three technique um, lined up over the guard, like he's a really good pass rusher in that situation. And beyond John Allen and Deron Payne, I think like John Ridgeway has some pass rush juice, but not as much as F.A. Obata and, you know, Obata's quicker. So I think that his coming back into the lineup and the Cinco package performing really well. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but it's certainly a big part of that. And so I think that that's one of the big reasons why um, they were effective in, in limiting B. John Robinson, Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, and, and you know, the really a, a really talented Falcons rushing attack. Hang on. Oh, I it's, just like a, I, it's, it's just like a press conference. You muted yourself. I've been having issues. My internal mic. It's not working on my computer, so the only way I can talk is using the the uh, uh, an external mic, and uh, yeah, I just muted myself because of all that. Anywho, one, one day I'll figure this technology out. Um, you know, I, my my thing has been like it's not like the defensive line, namely the starters, have been playing poorly. It's just that they're not it, they're not playing to the to the level that a their draft you know like their their to, their total draft pick. Um, asset, you know, uh, investment suggests that they need, and the way this team is structured, they need to be kind of extraordinary, frankly, on a, on a more consistent basis because the back seven has some issues. But I thought one difference here was at least then the the, the linebackers helped pick them up more this game. The line, you know, to, to to use the Ron Rivera line, they did their job, I guess you could say, a bit more. There, there weren't there weren't the breakdowns that we've seen in some of these other games. Um, and so on. So I think this collectively, it really was a better uh, effort overall, whether that's something that can be sustainable or whether ultimately this really was just a case of Atlanta um, does not being able to take advantage of some things that were out there uh, in, in the passing game or elsewhere to, to, uh, to get the job done. Um, it wasn't just about the defensive line or the front seven it was 
a lot of help from all over the place with this team. The Jameson Crowder return. Cornelius Lucas has to fill in at, at left tackle. Danny Johnson steps up at cornerback. Kalik Hudson's playing a little bit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Jameson Crowder is still the punt returner. But was there anything else that happened there that you think to yourself, you know what, Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, Eric Bannamy, I like that. Keep doing that thing. That player in that spot, keep using them in the lineup. Don't go back to where it was or this type of play call or whatever it is, this approach. Is there anything that you thought, do this more regardless of the opponent? I thought I liked this. So I, I want to pause also on a point you made earlier, and I'm going to make two points here. The first one is that I think that the linebackers played better. I think Cody Barton had his best game because of the Cinco package. And the Cinco package for him, when it creates one-on-ones for those linemen, it also like makes them gap sound and, and gives them like defined gap assignments because because Washington has such a talented defensive line, they like to let those guys um, you know read and react offensive linemen and just say, hey, go win. And basically Cody Barton's assignment is then to read and react to them and get in the gap that they don't end up going in. And so I think you've seen hesitation and you know a little bit of uncertainty at times where he doesn't know exactly what gap to be in or, or he's late getting to it. And so this actually makes his reads much cleaner, much simpler. And so you saw him play faster as a result. Um, I don't think, as we, as we talked about, that that's necessarily sustainable because you're going to play better quarterbacks and you're going to play teams that pass the ball much more effectively. And so that'll be harder. Just to double click on the Cody Barton thing. Is that your take that he played better or is that the world at large? <laughs> Um, standing is referencing a moment in a press conference where a coach asked him, who am I? Penn said, people are criticizing Cody Barton. The coach said, okay, well, who is criticizing? Who am I responding to? And Ben said, the world at large, the world at large was saying that Cody Barton wasn't very good. Um, which is hilarious and has become a bit in in the press room. Um, the, to your second point, what did I see from either Jack or Eric that I thought went well and, and that they should do more of? I think the getting Terry McLaurin involved in the first 15, I know his efficiency numbers weren't crazy, but getting him touches early in the game, I think was really important in focusing on, hey, like we need to get the ball to our best players, which sounds super simple, but they haven't been doing it. I mean, Logan Thomas was leading this team in targets. Uh, he might still be leading this team in targets. And that's, I mean, he's a good player, but he's not a dynamic guy that you're paying um, at the top of your roster like Terry McLaurin is. So whether that's, Shahan Dotson, who's still lagging behind in targets, whether that's Curtis Samuel, like we saw, you know, early in the Jacksonville game in week one in 2022, or Terry McLaurin, like we saw on Sunday, you need to get your best players the ball more often. And that was one strategy to do so. He had six targets in the first quarter, which obviously over the course of a game would be a ridiculous number that matched or exceeded his number of targets in every other game this year, except for the Eagles game, which is the other one in which they did the same thing. They got to him early, and it seemed to open up the offense for some of the other players. Now, in this game, they didn't throw the ball a ton relative to um, some of the other games. It was Sam Howell's lowest attempts on the year, but I completely agree. Get the ball. To, don't, don't overthink this sometimes. I, I mean, you it's, know. It's funny. Like, we break down film, and we talk about football schematics and Cinco package, blah, blah, blah. But, like. Sometimes football is super simple. Like I think about what Mike McDaniel's doing down in Miami. Mike McDaniel was like, hey, all of the fastest players in the league, I want those guys. And I want them to be running as fast as they can before the snap with these motions. And then they're going to outrun your guys and they're going to score a lot of touchdowns. And it's like, oh, okay. Like sometimes this stuff isn't that complicated. 
Yeah, you know, when 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 Jimmy Johnson came on to Dallas uh, back in the day, and obviously they took their lumps early before becoming the dominant team of their era, the basic formula was speed kills, and they just got fast guys kind of all over the place, obviously talented fast guys, but and and that worked, and here we are all these years later, kind of the same thing, and in the, in the Dolphins are the one uh, the, you're looking revolutionary. And actually, that brings me to a different question for you. This is a broader one, and that is this. As much as I think we're both kind of saying – we need to see a lot more before we start getting impressed with where this team could go. I don't watch a ton of games, unfortunately, because of our day job. You know, by the time we're done covering a commander's one o'clock game, you know, get back home or a hotel or whatever, the four o'clocks are probably already done. And now at most, I'm watching the Sunday night game and the Monday game. So I'm not seeing everything. But when you look at it in totality and the games we do see, I don't know if anybody's this, this league stinks this year. I, I mean, other than like Miami's offense, Right. And obviously, like San Francisco, when healthy, looks pretty imposing. And, you know, I'm not this Kansas City, just they're just not scoring as much as we're used to. But obviously, they're still their defense is actually playing pretty well. But most of the teams in the league, even more than normal, I think, are just stuck in the middle or at the bottom. And what I mean by and what I'm thinking is in 2020, Ron Rivera at some point started saying, hey, I know you guys think we stink, but I think we're going to we're going to we may win the division. We're like, what? Get out of here. Do we? overestimate the rest of the league sometimes when we're talking about the commanders because yeah they're not they're not good they're in the middle whatever but so is 90 percent of the league this year it feels like Like, i'm not saying they would compete against the eagles the niners or whatever in the in the playoffs but like it's not like they're like insanely worse than a, a huge chunk of the league there's like a small handful of teams that might be good really good and everybody else is kind of the baseball playoffs, I think, are reinforcing this for me. Um, and obviously the NFL, obviously having seven teams, you know, 14 of the 32 teams are going to make the playoffs. Like, you can be mediocre and still make the postseason. And I think that, like, I don't know if we're overrating the rest of the league, but I think we are maybe underestimating, like, how low the bar can be to get into the playoffs. And I'm not saying that, you know, bad teams are making it every year, except obviously when you're a sub-500 team that wins the division, like Washington was in 2020. But I think that Washington is the middle class. They're mediocre. Like some days they, they look better. Some days they look worse, but they're pretty much, you know, they're, they're the team that you would expect them to be. Um, particularly the young quarterback and a defense that has a ton of assets devoted to it and money and draft picks, but is underperforming. Um, so, I mean, I don't think their ceiling is, is super high. If they do make the playoffs, I think it'll, you know, it'll probably be like we saw in 2020 where they lose in the wild card round. Maybe, maybe they get one, but um, I think right now, you know, I, I don't know if we're underrating the rest of the league. I don't think we're overrating Washington, but uh, I think right now Washington is properly rated as like middle of the road. Yeah, I mean, I think they are properly rated. I agree. I guess it's just sort of like, you know, the the, the league in total. I, I watch games when I when I when I do. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I don't see a lot of interesting. You know, people I think often t- wrongly equate a close game with a good game just because something comes down to the end doesn't mean it was actually good. Don't ignore what happened the first 55 minutes because in the last five minutes, the team scored four times and uh, had some crazy, crazy plays. I I don't think anyone was confusing Washington Atlanta for a good game, particularly with the way the Falcons managed the clock. Like in the last two minutes, which that was man, when you spike the ball and then take a delay of game penalty on the next play on third and one like that, that was embarrassing. 
for, for Ritter, for Arthur Smith, for that whole Falcon staff, like that was, that was some, one of the worst game management uh, clock decisions I've seen in, in, in a minute. I, I kind of felt like Atlanta was calling the whole game as if they really were feeling cocky that they were going to win this game. Like there was some decisions I was like, eh, I don't know. I feel like they, they just thought they were going to go in and win that they, they bought into the commanders or that were the team that lost to the bears. And they were the team that just, um, you know, right. We're coming in with three and two, but um, I don't know who, who, who can say for sure. But I thought it felt like they were calling the game fairly arrogantly. But what, so what, what calls were, did you feel like were arrogant? I don't know. It was like the going forward at midfield one. And um, I don't know. I, I just, uh, just felt like there was like a we're going to win this game kind of vibe to them as opposed to feeling like they're what they should be viewing themselves as as the plucky underdog who uh you know needs to um you know everything's got well, I mean, they they, were, they weren't an underdog though cuz the falcons were favored by a point and a half i think going into the game uh, but i mean to me it was i mean they stuck to their principles of of we're going to run the ball we're going to run it downhill we're going to run crack toss but it, it was kind of i mean especially on that first drive when they converted two third and longs on the way to a touchdown, like that, that to me was a kind of unsustainable, you know, like Desmond Ritter is not a guy who is dropping back and converting third and eight, third and nine most times. Um, agree. All right. Last thing. And then I, I'll let you, uh, you and your Uber driver go. Um, <laughs> uh, Sam, Howell have to have, always have to have some sort of a referendum on him. Like I said, I, I think by and large, I, I've, I've, again, I've reached a point now where, you know, if you're looking at him like the, the the young kid, can he learn to walk? Okay, I think now I'm like, okay, he's he looks pretty steady on his feet. I feel confident he'll be able to get from point A to point B without falling over. I'm not, you know, I'm not worrying about it. Uh, I'm still going to hold his hand crossing the street, things like that. But I'm not worried about him being able to, you know, get around a, a little bit. That said, the sacks situation is continuing to be an issue. It's, in this game, I thought even more than some of the other ones, it was even more on him than it was on on the line um what where are you at with uh the sacks and just also just sam howell overall sorry my head's spinning because you made a parenting analogy um i i, I didn't expect that coming on this podcast but uh look you gotta you gotta keep everybody I, on their toes <laughs> life is full of surprises um yeah I, I think sam was was mostly fine um like you said the sacks are still a problem i think to me it's it's hard to when you go back and watch the film it's hard to be too down on him because you remember that Desmond Ritter was picked two rounds and like 70 picks or something ahead of him. And you go like, dang, there's a lot more hope with Sam Howell than there is with Desmond Ritter. Um, not to keep trashing this guy. Uh, but like Sam Howell's mobility, the way he can get out of the pocket and create, I mean, like all the things that we know about him already, I think he reinforced that. He looks really good when he gets the ball out of his hands. But again, like you said, like just taking some more incompletions and particularly like, there was one sack where it was it was like the cleanest pocket I've seen maybe from them all year, like a really good pocket for three, three and a half seconds. And he just like tucked the ball and he danced around and then he got sacked. And those are the negative plays you need to avoid if you're going to keep this offense on schedule, um, if you're going to fix um, the problem that you have. And so I think Sam is pretty much, you know, exactly what we thought he was going to be. Um, there's not a big surprise. But so, I mean, the question for me now is if we get to the end of the year, and we see pretty much the same Sam Howell, like, is that guy good enough to be a franchise quarterback? I would say you've seen enough to, to bet on him, but, you know, and I'd be very curious to know, like, if there's a new coach or if there's a new GM, like, what do they think? I think they'd probably give him another year to develop because as we saw with Jalen Hurts in Philly, like, you can 
really work well in a specific offensive structure that can get exposed. You can come back the next year and you can improve. Um, so Sam Howell, I, I think that if you can see any reduction in the sack rate by the end of the year, that's a huge win. Um, and you should take that and, and feel good about it because the arm strength, the mobility, all of those things, um, just like the, the moxie he has like in the huddle and his ability to be unfazed by very stressful situations. I think that's enough. Um, I think the goal should be pretty modest in 2023 is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, and, and just lastly, we'll have to see what he does. Has any part of you think, thought to yourself, you know what, I've seen what I've seen, and this team is where it is. I can see at some point them saying they're going to go to Jacoby Brissett, and maybe it's even the right move to make, or are you at the point where I'm at, which has been I'm just going with Sam Howe almost regardless of what happens the rest of the way? Yeah, I, I think going to Jacoby Brissett, is is a, a punt on this season because to me you know exactly what Jacoby Brissett is he's a veteran he's not going to surprise you um and then taking off the table like hey we believe in this guy or he could develop um is is you know kind of closing up shop on okay we're building something sustainable here because you poured all these resources into like putting the right pieces around Sam Howell and now you're saying, actually, like the guy that we built around is not it if you bench him. So I think you should stick with Sam Howell uh, for as long as, as you possibly can. Like it, we would have to get pretty bad to move on from that guy, in my opinion. All right. Well, look, speaking of pretty bad, Sam, do me a favor. Now that you're out of the Uber, I can see. Check your when we got to check your Uber rating, because I'm curious to know, because like they rate us too, right? The drivers. I'm curious to see, does your Uber rating stay where it was or does it plummet after this because a you were you know on a conversation the whole time in the car b what if the driver was a cowboys fan right i mean i <laughs> i would get i would immediately ding you for that so you know let us know about that uh this week if your uber rating drops after this um but on this podcast your uh guest rating just continues to soar, soar and skyrocket all the advanced metrics continue to see a a, a promising guest for years to come sam Fortier with the washington post <laughs> At Sam4TR on Twitter. Anything else we need to know about? Uh, no, nah, you hit where, where you can find me. But um, I will say that I just looked while you were talking. My Uber rating is a 491, which well, I think wow. is pretty good. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But if I do get dinged for talking in the car, uh, it will be on my colleague Rachel Siegel uh, because she is the one that called the Uber home from, from the newspaper club. So hopefully for her, the Uber driver is not a Cowboys fan. Yeah, well, let's hope. Let's hope that's the case. I got my four point seven six. What did I do? <laughs> four seven six. Oh my god! I I I can't ride with you, man. Uh, well, or or at least you have to put it. Actually, you just did the other day. Uh, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I need to look. Maybe uh, being in the Uber with uh, with you with we had three in the back seat the other day it was in a in a tight Honda. That wasn't great. Um, that's a whole other shout story. out shout out uh, shout out Elena Wu, coach of the uh, Pomona Pitzer women's basketball program. Yeah, she was the highlight of 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 the drive for sure. Unlike the Uber driver, who we couldn't even sit in the front seat because they had too much personal stuff in it. It was crazy. All right, enough of that, uh, dude. I appreciate it. Uh, enjoy uh, the rest of your day. I'll see you out in Ashburn tomorrow. Standing, always great talking to you, my guy. All right, big thanks to Sam Forty for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Um, gonna try to squeeze in one more this week but we'll see how the week goes uh i will be in new york either way sunday for 
this game, well, New Jersey, technically, for those of you who want to be sticklers, but you know what I mean. Uh, so I will be there for that one. Um, I don't know if, how many of you guys will be going. Obviously, the Giants are, you know, one of those uh, fan bases that typically uh, has, you know, there's not a lot of space for visiting opponents. But obviously, they're reeling. And Washington is at 3-3, three and three, which is the best record under Ron Rivera so far in his, well, you know, in his four years uh, at this point. So I will be curious to see if any of you guys are going there. There was a huge crowd in Atlanta. Ron Rivera said today that he recognized, he and the players recognized just how loud it was with Washington fans. would be interesting if we uh, hear loud cheers for the commanders in, a, in, in big blue territory. But with where they're at, at one in five, perhaps some fans have bailed. On the other hand, we know the history of these teams. The Giants are always up for giving the Commanders a hard time, no matter what happens, and I would expect nothing less than that this game. Uh, All right, that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya. for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100% guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry leading partnerships StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence StubHub an official partner of The Athletic